More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Over the last few episodes, I took you deep into the heart of Shasta County, California, where a group of far-right activists recalled their Republican county supervisor for not being radical enough in response to the pandemic. Faced with these extreme politics, a lot of people in Shasta fell silent. They were afraid to stand up for the facts, to stand up for democracy. Later in the series, we'll head back to Shasta for another high-stakes election, where right-wing activists tried to win even more county positions. First, though, I want to tell you a different story, one with similar themes but a different outcome. It's a story about how a normal issue for a town government, a heated battle over a proposed development, brought far-right extremism to town. And it's about how people stood up, organized, and fought back. So let's return to Squim, Washington, the small town where this series began. Yep, hello. Uh, my name is Josh. I live in Squim. Uh, I would request that Mayor Armacost denounce QAnon. You're listening to Bedrock USA, a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio, a podcast about political extremism, small town life, and the fight for democracy. I'm your host, Laura Bliss. Real quick. I want to remind you of where the story of Squim left off. Here's the play-by-play. So you just heard Josh Sutcliffe. Days after January 6th, he called in to a city council meeting and asked the mayor of the town, William Armacost, to denounce QAnon. In a nutshell, Armacost had posted memes about the baseless conspiracy theory on Facebook and had praised it on live radio. And by this point, Josh had had enough and wanted to say so publicly. He was freaked out because QAnon had just been on violent display at the Capitol riot. But the mayor completely ignored Josh's comment. He didn't say a word. Then, later in the meeting, seemingly out of nowhere, he announced he was telling the city manager, Charlie Bush, to resign. Charlie was a beloved longtime official in Squim the guy who basically helped the city government function. To some locals, it looked like Mayor Armacost was attempting to overthrow his own local government in a sort of gesture of support to the January 6th protesters. Not only that, there were other people on the council who voted to remove Charlie Bush as well. 
That meant the mayor had allies. And that's when I came across the story. I read a tweet describing Charlie Bush's ouster as a kind of mini-insurrection at the hands of Mayor Armacost. The aftermath drew national attention, including a big report on CNN. The small community of Squim, Washington. Question after question. QAnon and the mayor are the talk of the town. Mr. Mayor, excuse me. We, you owe it to the citizens of Squim. Residents fear that Squim, population 7,000, may be the first to have a QAnon conspiracy theorist in power. The whole thing was so bonkers. There was so much to unpack. A mayor who spread the word of QAnon and what locals were calling an attempted coup. My question was, did Charlie Bush's ouster really all come down to QAnon? Or was there more to it? Because in small towns like Squim, there's almost always a backstory. I had to get to the bottom of it. So I started working the phones, calling up locals who could tell me more. And what I heard was a little more complicated. And this version of the story, well, it was kind of like a parable for the rest of the country. Because like virtually any town in America... I learned that Squim has had cracks in its bedrock that go back years. Metaphorical cracks formed by racism, fear, and resentment. Long before the pandemic, extreme ideologies had begun to seep into those cracks, threatening to destroy community trust and relationships. Things began to fall apart with something called the Matt Clinic. On a larger perspective, I think that what drove a lot of that was the Matt Clinic. It was after the Matt Clinic. The issue was the Matt Clinic. The Matt Clinic. That's short for medication-assisted treatment, meaning a facility where patients dealing with opioid addiction receive medication to handle their cravings. It's similar to a methadone clinic, but with other services too, like mental health counseling, dentistry, and job assistance. These kinds of clinics are nothing new. But what I came to learn was that back in 2019, a proposal to build a mat clinic in the heart of Squim tore the town apart. One side was very, very opposed, and the other side saw it as greatly needed. And I also heard that Charlie Bush was supportive of the idea, but Mayor Armacost was not. Perhaps that was part of why Bush was pushed out, locals believed. But there was even more to the story, they said, because it was the local Native American tribe that was proposing to build the Matt Clinic. And some people really resented them. This was too much to untangle over the phone. I had to get a feel for the town myself to talk to people face to face. So earlier this year, my producer Kathleen and I decided it was time to visit Squim. We flew into Seattle, got our rental, and drove on I-5 to Edmonds, where we caught the ferry, to Kingston. We made our way along the highway, passing a dense forest of evergreens along the way. We have crossed the sound. Puget. I had learned that the county Squim is located in, Clallam County, happens to be America's longest-running bellwether. 
meaning it's the only county in the whole United States that has voted for every president in every election since 1980, from Ronald Reagan through Joe Biden. It made me wonder, if the Squim area is a bellwether for the nation's president, what else could it be a bellwether for? The landscape opened up into a sunnier valley, and we turned off the highway towards downtown Squim, a stretch of restaurants and boutiques with a big-box shopping center at the far end. I'd read that the town attracts a lot of retirees from urban places like Seattle and Southern California, and I could see why. It felt like a land apart. But I also knew it wasn't. The fact that this area was a bellwether, that it swung back and forth between political parties to pick the president every four years, told me that Squim's population was pretty bipartisan, that it was a mostly white cross-section of America. One of my sources told us to go to the Hurricane Coffee Company, a cafe on the downtown strip. He said it was a good place to talk to residents and get a feel for local life. That's coming up after the break. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. What are we having today? Kathleen and I introduced ourselves to a group of older folks seated in the back of the cafe. It turned out they met there every morning to shoot the breeze over a cup of coffee. I saw you come in over there. Most of them hadn't followed the drama with Mayor Armacost and Charlie Bush too closely. But when I asked them what they thought about the Matt Clinic, well, they were thoroughly opposed. So they come down here and they give us all these insurances, and it, it sounds like, uh, like they're lying. You know, it's like... Um, the people that go to those uh, the clinic are going to create a problem. Uh, that's the, what the feeling, what the people think, and they explain it away uh, with lame um, uh, statistics. Where are those people going to go until they go back again to get their next uh, dose of um, of um, 
what do you call it? The uh, the fake heroin that they use. Methadone. Methadone. Where are they going to Where are they going to go? They have to be uh, housed locally, or else on the street. And I think it will be on the street. The thing I'm most worried about, and as a teacher and a grandmother and a mother, is that the they're going to probably some of them are going to come in by bus uh, and be dropped off up near there. But then they get their treatment, and then they're let go, and they're and, the, and where do they go? And, yeah, where they they're supposed to go back to where they came from, but I don't know. They planned it right ahead of time. They even told us it was coming, and we've talked to members of the tribe, and they say we're independent. There's nothing you can do about it. You just heard from Jim Nichols and Sharon and Joe Walsh. They all lived in the Squim area and they were against the MAT clinic for a variety of reasons. I'm going to tell you more in a moment about what the MAT clinic was and who it was designed to serve. But first, I want to just sit for a moment with what you just heard. Jim, Sharon, and Joe all shared a fear of the people the MAT clinic would attract. People with addiction, they said. Homeless people. People with problems coming in by the busload. And there was another thing. Joe mentioned the tribe, and he talked about this tribe as if it was in control of everything in the town and that people like him had no say at all. We chatted for a while, and my biggest takeaway from the conversation was that Jim, Sharon, and Joe were afraid. Afraid of the Native American tribe who was building the clinic and of the people who might one day use it. They reminded me of other people I've met before, reporting on other local stories. People who were shouting, not in my backyard. Their detractors call them NIMBYs, for short. They'll often come in with critiques about things like the size and siting of an affordable housing project or transit station in their neighborhood. They come from all kinds of political persuasions and live in all kinds of places, from New York City to small rural towns. And for sure, some NIMBYs have legitimate concerns. But for others, critics say, their concerns are rooted in uglier fears about other people. So what was this Matt Clinic, actually? After we said goodbye to the folks at the coffee shop, I knew we had to go straight to the source. And this is a specific treatment center for opioid uh, use disorder, opioid addiction. So for folks that um, have been on uh, heroin, for folks who have been on maybe opioid pills or medications, and they're trying to uh, come off of those things, this would be the treatment center for them. That's Lonnie Greninger, the tribal vice chair for the Jamestown Scollum tribe. That was the tribe that was proposing to build the clinic. We as Jamestown for us, um, I know our, our clinic staff say it's a no-brainer. This is something that we should just provide for everyone, Native and non-Native, because we know that it's here in our community. We know that addiction is here. We see it. We live it. It's in Native communities especially. Um, in fact, you know, having disparities of this particular issue, any substance use, is more so in Native communities. But because we so are intermingled, we're intermarried, we're, we're uh, interdispersed with our checkerboard reservation, so to speak, we know that we need to be able to provide services for everyone. 
Lonnie is speaking to the need for opioid addiction treatment in the area. Clallam County, where Squim is located, has one of the highest rates of opioid-related death in all of Washington state. And she also mentioned something unique about the Jamestown Scallam tribe, the fact that it is deeply integrated with the non-native Squim community. Unlike a lot of Native American tribes, there is no single separate reservation. The businesses and homes of tribal members sit alongside those of non-Native people. And those businesses, including a medical center and dental clinic, are open to everyone, not just tribal members. I say all this to give you a sense of how the tribe fits into the community. Jamestown Sklalem is not some other entity. It was already providing health care and other basic services to everyone in Squim. And the Matt Clinic, similarly, was designed to serve patients who were already in Clallam County and the neighboring county. Patients were not going to be bussed in from far away and dumped on the streets of Squim. So the tribe's proposal was to build a $20 million opioid addiction treatment clinic on an empty lot behind the Costco. When that plan became public in spring 2019, Lonnie expected people to welcome it. When we brought this idea forward to SQUIM and the community saying, we're providing this, honestly, we were actually surprised by some of the pushback that we received. But even in the pushback, the way that we interpreted it was, there's just a misunderstanding. This is a misunderstanding of what problems we're facing right now and a misunderstanding of what what we as Jamestown as a provider were wanting to do. There was fear around increasing homelessness. There was a fear around increasing crime in the area. There was a fear that we would be attracting more homelessness and crime to the area. And we just, we disagreed respectfully. And if there happens to be somebody who disagrees, you know, but then they find themselves in a situation where they have a family member or they themselves now need that treatment, we will open our doors. We will open and welcome them. Um, We do not want to turn anybody away. And we're going to continue to live respectfully. We're going to continue to live responsibly and continue to provide for our people who we now count, you know, the non-natives as our people too, because they are, they're in our community. Lonnie wanted to help everyone in SQUIM. It was a remarkably generous viewpoint. But it turned out a lot of people in her own community didn't return that respect. Far from it. On Facebook, a group called Save Our SQUIM had organized to oppose the MAT clinic. It formed in July 2019 and very quickly grew into hundreds of members who were against the MAT clinic. Later that month, the Squim City Council announced it was holding a special meeting regarding the clinic. Save Our Squim members encouraged each other to attend, and more than 500 people showed up. It was standing room only. Charlie Bush was also there. He addressed the audience, telling folks that at this point, the tribe hadn't even submitted a formal application to build anything. But he assured everyone that their questions would be answered and that the city would do its due diligence when it came time to review the project. We want to hear from you tonight, and we'll be answering your questions in writing regarding the permitting process and posting those answers on our website. We will also be submitting questions about the project that come up to the tribe for their response. Thank you for being here tonight. Dozens of people got up to speak that night, a lot of them from Save Our Squim. 
one of the group's main organizers asked the city to put a hold on the development. People were angry because they felt like they hadn't had a say in the project. A lot of them were worried about the size of the clinic and where it was going to be located. One local who joined the Facebook group told me she thought the clinic should have been closer to other medical facilities in town. Becky Mitchell, I was born in Squim. Um, I didn't grow up here. My dad was in the Air Force, um, but we moved back 27 years ago. Oh, my heck. Squim has been developed in such a sprawl. You know, this can go here, this can go there. And I, I just would like to see, you know, just totally a little bit more thought and planning to it. And I didn't think that was the best location. And then I got added to the Facebook group and I realized that there was a lot of people not for it. But Becky noticed that other members of Save Our Swim were fixated on a different set of fears, bigoted fears. A lot of the people on there became just mean. And there was a lot of stereotypes on, you know, this is going to bring people from all over. They're going to steal from our cars. They're going to have homeless RVs in our yards. You know, everyone's looking around. Oh, you know, and you'd see next door, there'd be all these people, you know, oh, we saw this person up here. We'll wait till the Met Clinic's open. They're going to be everywhere. And I'm like, whoa. Um, I think I finally had it when some guy was going off on immigrants as well. You know, they were adding a lot of um, just mean stuff about people. You know, it also became, you know, we don't want drug addicts here, but we also, and the immigrants. And I was like, okay, that's it. You're, I called him out on it. And I think that was when, and I, I just got the immigrants have nothing to do with this. Where's this coming from? And then I kind of got, oh, I think there were some other comments I made to some other people, mostly about the stereotypes, and I got kicked out of the group. <laughs> um, yeah. That's right. Becky said she got kicked out of the group for calling out racist comments. I reached out to the main organizer of Save Our Swim for an interview, but she declined to talk. So ugly rhetoric was raging on Facebook. Anti-Native comments appeared all over the Save Our Swim page. There were awful jokes about digging up Native bones beneath the mat clinic. Conspiracy theories about how tribal leaders wanted to take over Swim. One poster called the mat clinic a, quote, teepee development. Mixed into this racist stew was the idea that city administrators were conspiring with the tribe to build the clinic, that they stood to benefit. People started to call for city officials to be fired, including Charlie Bush, since he was the city manager, and because he seemed pretty supportive of the development process. So a clear wedge began to form. On one side was Save Our Swim, and on the other, anyone who supported the Matt Clinic. And that put William Armacost in an interesting position. At this point in time, in 2019, Armacost was a member of the elected city council. And it turns out he was also against the Matt Clinic. Here he is speaking at another city council meeting later that summer. However, we're at a point that it's just too much to swallow. It's a mega Matt Center. It's in the middle of a small community that has attracted a lot of people who choose this this is where I want to I want to die I want to live here raise my family have this good life the sad reality that is going to have a dramatic change wherever you have drug addicts you will have a following trail of drug dealers and the dealers are the cartel it's big business he was repeating the unfounded speculation 
that the clinic was going to attract a dangerous element to SQUIM, when in fact it was designed to serve people already living in the area. People who, in large part, were dealing with addictions to prescription drugs. But Save Our SQUIM's demands to stop the MAP clinic couldn't go very far, legally speaking. Why not? That's coming up after the break. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. The land where the Jamestown Scollum tribe wanted to build, a 20-acre lot behind the Costco, was already zoned for medical purposes. People could send in public comments on the project. But once the city reviewed and approved the application, the tribe was essentially free to build. And if the city blocked the clinic outright, it would potentially open itself up to a lawsuit. So at that point, Armacost was in the minority among the elected officials on city council, in the sense that most other councillors didn't seem to see much point in catering to the concerns of the anti-MAT crowd. But that didn't stop Save Our Squim from continuing its campaign. As the months went on, the Facebook group grew. They organized rallies, petitions, and fundraisers. Businesses put up Save Our Squim signs in their windows. And pretty soon, it became a full-blown nonprofit with 501c4 status, accepting donations for a legal campaign it planned to mount against the city. Here's one of the organizers rallying a protest in downtown Squim towards the end of that year. November 22nd, we're having SOS goes to Italy. Yeah! It's going to be a lasagna dinner at the Alps Club starting at 5.30. We hope we'll see you all there. Meanwhile, the anti-native bigotry kept spewing on social media, and tribal members were feeling the impact. Here's one resident, a tribal descendant named Vicki Lowe, 
describing the harm of all the ugly rhetoric. She's speaking to Squim City Council in March 2020, right before the pandemic began. Good evening. My name is Vicki Lowe. I am a lifelong resident of Squim. I have lived within the Squim city limits for over 50 years. I'm a descendant of both pioneer families and of the Jamestown Sklalem tribe. Tonight, I am here to speak to you about civil discourse, about what it's like to be part of a community where a small group of people attack your heritage on a daily basis. The SOS Facebook page is a train wreck that people cannot stop watching. Not only are people making these racist, hateful statements, many are watching and not saying anything. When a person questions why hateful statements are allowed, they are blocked from the site. These types of attacks bring back the historical intergenerational trauma from the racism our ancestors were victim to, bringing the trauma into today. Tribal people have expressed fear of being in public with a brown face. We feel unsafe to go to the grocery shopping, ride buses, go to the post office, go for a walk in our own community. We all need to do what we can do to stop racism, the hateful behavior in our community. As our elected officials, we need you all to step up and make sure it is known that this kind of behavior is not okay. Doing nothing is doing something. This is also my squint. As Vicki delivered her comments, she held up big signs printed with racist comments left in the group. She was asking the city council to formally denounce the hateful speech. But that didn't happen right away because things were about to take a turn. It was March 2020, and that month, the pandemic hit. Save Our Squim was already a repository for conspiracy theories and fear-mongering. COVID-19 only poured more fuel on the fire. Over the course of the pandemic, the group transformed. Save Our Squim not only organized protests about the MAT clinic, but against shutdowns and mask mandates. Members posted conspiracy theories about the Washington state governor, local health officials, and Anthony Fauci. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it. Locals, a lot of whom were older retirees, like the folks I met at the coffee shop, were stuck at home, spending even more time on Facebook, looking for answers in a disorienting time. Groups like Save Our Swim gave them something to do. But there was also a danger. Soon, the group was drawing people from beyond Swim, from all over Washington and its neighboring states. And as the Facebook page expanded to contain a broader swath of far-right ideologies, it caught the attention of a group that tracks extremism. And they were alarmed. My name is Devin Burkhardt. I'm the executive director of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights. IREHR is a nonprofit organization that tracks uh, far-right activity and helps communities build effective barriers against bigotry. According to Devin's research, more than 17% of Save Our Squim members also belonged to Facebook groups that his group classified as far-right. Groups like I Refuse to Wear a Mask and Washington State Oath Keepers. That overlap was a red flag, Devin said, because it meant that Save Our Squim could serve as a starting point for radicalization and possibly lead to real-life violence. But there was... In fact, efforts underway to try to radicalize a much larger chunk of the of the population. 
individuals who might have been concerned initially about, you know, how the pandemic was being handled, but were then um, deluged with an endless stream of conspiracy theories and radicalized, radicalizing ideas that quickly move people from those entry points on which they stepped onto that conveyor belt into, you know, much scarier places. And that actually happened, he said. He described how one member of Save Our Squim was radicalized at alarming speed, going from being a Bernie Sanders supporter before the pandemic to following far-right sovereign citizen groups less than 18 months later. Yet this was the sort of pattern he was seeing in communities all over the country. Larger political space created by the COVID denial activities has exposed a much larger chunk of the American public to these ideas. In fact, I think at our last count, we found that there were about 1,100 different Facebook groups operating that had about 2.4 million members in them. And virtually all of them have had, you know, to one degree or another um, exposure to this unending churn of conspiracies and, you know, moving people ideologically much further to the right. As some of Save Our Squim's most vocal supporters were moving into the fringes of the far-right world, many of the more moderate members, members like Becky, who you heard earlier, stopped engaging. A lot of them were resigned to the Matt Clinic getting built. Because it looked like that was going to happen. In May 2020, the city of Squim approved the tribe's application. Save Our Squim diehards kept fighting, filing a legal appeal that alleged that city officials had acted improperly and violated the municipal code. But the evidence looked pretty thin. By the end of 2020, Save Our Squim seemed to have only one big advantage— and that was the composition of the city council. Because by that point, the city council had voted to make William Armacost the mayor. He was in charge. And like so many members of Save Our Squim, he was letting his far-right flag fly. He was posting right-wing memes and QAnon videos on his Facebook page. And in late August, he made his infamous comments on the local radio show, praising QAnon. Remember, this is when Charlie Bush put out a statement, distancing the city from the mayor. The mayor apologized, but he didn't denounce what he said. And at this point, he wasn't in the minority on city council anymore. By the end of 2020, he had allies. In a total coincidence of timing, three vacancies had opened up on city council. To fill those openings, the council led by Mayor Armacost, appointed three new people. They would be his allies on a number of consequential votes. So now, the pieces were in place. For months, Save Our Squim members had been calling for Charlie Bush to be fired because they believed, baselessly, that he was conspiring with the tribe to build the Matt Clinic. And on January 11, 2021, the turmoil finally boiled over. Mayor Armacost called for the resignation of Charlie Bush, and the three newly appointed city council members voted with him to approve the motion. At this executive session, we discussed the city manager, Charlie Bush. As a result of this discussion, I am prepared to make the following motion. I move to direct the mayor to negotiate with the city manager relating to his resignation. I've spoken to dozens of people around SWIM, and here's what some locals think. Maybe Charlie Bush's ouster 
was the mayor's final attempt at stopping the MAP clinic. Or maybe it was even simpler than that. Scapegoating Charlie Bush was maybe a way for the mayor to flex his power in a way his supporters would appreciate. In the end, all of this, the Save Our Swim campaign, Charlie Bush's forced resignation, amounted to very little in terms of the MAP clinic. The next month, a judge ruled in favor of the tribe's project, effectively ending Save Our Squim's legal campaign. The new opioid addiction treatment facility was going to be built, whether locals liked it or not. It all sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Squim shares many of the same themes as Shasta County. Knowing all this backstory, it reminds me of something an expert told me about the far right broadly. He said... These groups often seek to destroy the institutions they cannot legitimately control. But this story does not end the same way as Shasta County. Because all along, there were people in Squim who were horrified by the racism blaring on social media. They'd been watching how Save Our Squim supporters were becoming radicalized. And they saw Charlie Bush's dismissal as a dangerous shot across the bow. This group was determined to prevent their city from falling further into conspiracy theories and political chaos. They wanted to rebuild the nonpartisan leadership that was supposed to be the foundation of local government. And they wanted an end to the racism that had boiled over online. Would they succeed? And how would they do it? That's next time on Bedrock USA. This episode was reported and hosted by me, Laura Bliss. Kathleen Quillian is our senior producer. Samantha Story is our story editor and executive producer. We had additional editing help from Nicole Flato. Original music and scoring by Zachary Walter and audio engineering by Blake Maples. Jennifer Sondag is head of Bloomberg City Lab. Bedrock USA is a production of Bloomberg City Lab and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, 
OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.